0: Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEBAM, am FM, and WDEBradio.com.
1: Welcome back in. Brady Farkas' show here on this Monday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Celtics beat the Nets last night, late afternoon rather. Final score 115-114 to 114 to Jason Tatum. Bucket at the buzzer cemented the game one win. And the guy who saw it all courtside for ESPN Radio was Mark Kestesher. And Kesty is with us now on the phone line. Mark, what a way to spend an Easter Sunday.
0: Brady, that was fun. We had a nice uh, week long road trip leading into that. A couple of play in games. And, uh, you know, if we're going to start game one like that, uh, that's that's quite a teaser uh, for the rest of the series. Let's hope it lives up to that. But that was quite an Easter Sunday yesterday in
1: Boston. Yeah, that was a lot of fun last night. You know, we were just talking about this. We spent the whole first segment on that last play had so many things going on. Let me start with the Ime Udoka angle. Two things. One, He doesn't foul the Nets on their last possession. He trusts the Celtics to play defense, get the stop, and secure the rebound. And then he doesn't call timeout to set up a final play. He just lets the Celtics kind of go helter-skelter, and both decisions worked out for him. What would you make of Udoka's coaching down the stretch?
0: Yeah, it was, I mean, the sequences in the last 45 seconds were so much to take in. I didn't have a stopwatch on P.J. Carlosimo, my analyst, but... It felt like you went for a couple minutes just dissecting every little thing that went down. And to answer your question, um, you know, Brooklyn was, I don't want to say, torching Boston defense. They were just making shots. I mean, Kyrie Irving was making shots. We had Marcus Smart as our post-game guest as soon as the thing ended. And he talked about trying to defend what he said in his words, you know, the, the best point guard in the NBA or one of the best scorers in the NBA. I forget how he phrased it, but you know, being 20 feet from him and watching, I know exactly what it means. You can do everything right in the defensive possession, and then Kyrie rises up, hits a three, or drives into guys, you know, a foot taller than him and has an uncanny way of finishing. So, you know, for Udoka uh, to trust in his defense, and why not? I mean, they've been the best defense in the NBA for over three months. Um, Even though they were getting torched earlier, that was huge. And then the next part, as you mentioned, they had the timeout. And I'm watching P.J. out of the corner of my eye. I'm trying to focus on the game, obviously, because I know we got something big cooking (laughs) here. But I could see P.J. kind of windmilling like a third-base coach. (laughs) And I think he was agreeing, like, don't call the timeout. Let's go. You know, the Nets have not had a good defense all year. Teams traditionally, if you don't let them set up, they're going to be a little bit more staggered. And then on top of it, every single player, all five Boston players, touch the ball, I said it on the air after the game. I said three years ago Marcus Smart would have taken that shot. He might have Mm -hmm. said three months ago he might have taken that shot. But he stepped inside, drew two defenders, made a perfect pass to Tatum who pirouettes and scores. And you're right. It's like the anatomy of 45 seconds. You could do like an hour documentary (laughs) on it. And and the decisions, those two big ones by Ime to play D, force a tough shot, and then not call timeout and don't let them set up their defense and then execute. I thought Marcus was taking that shot just because you panic a little yeah. down to two one seconds, and these guys don't panic. I mean, not only did Tatum catch the ball, but he spun, extends the arm, and still gets rid of it, you know, before time expires. It was pretty amazing.
1: You know, the Nets had a great stretch at the end of the first half to to get back and tie the game going into halftime. And they certainly had a great stretch in the fourth quarter. But overall, I thought the Celtics' defense played really physical, and they did seem to make life difficult. I don't know that I've ever seen Kevin Durant turn it over like five times in a single quarter, which I think is what happened yesterday in the first. What did you make of the Celtics' physicality and their temperament on defense?
0: Yeah, it was clearly the game plan was to be physical with them, um, to force defenders onto him as soon as he got into the paint it was that that's the adjustment going into game two is how kevin durant adjusts because if they're going to collapse on him he's got to be quick i know he said it's you know a lot about footwork and he can do some individual things but he's also got to take advantage of the breaking point and that is you know if they're going to throw that much attention at him he's got to find an open guy and either they'll get it back to him for another shot, but they, it was just time after time. And in a very physical game in which the, the whistle seemed to blow every half second, he was—you could tell—he was frustrated because there were times he thought that he was fouled and wasn't getting a call. But they never really adjusted. As you said, they got off a little bit in the uh, fourth quarter, quite a bit in the fourth quarter, and in the second they had that run as well. But it was just—it was not a typical. Kevin Durant day and I agree with him. There were some shots that popped in and out that he's used to getting that, you know, the rest of the league uh, you know, would die for to be able to, you know, take tough shots and make them. Many of the ones he usually makes he didn't yesterday. So I think he feels like some of that will even out, but I don't I don't see how Ime Udoka goes away from that strategy because it worked so well in the
1: first game. You know, it's well established on this show, Mark, that uh, I don't like ratings and I don't like power rankings. And anything ranked, I'm not a huge fan of. So I can't believe I'm about to get sucked into this rabbit hole. But you mentioned what Marcus Smart said to you after the game. Last week, I think on Friday, Tim Legler said to the ESPN that Kyrie is the most gifted offensive player in the NBA. You've seen just about all the great offensive players in the NBA. Where do you think Kyrie ranks on that list?
0: Yeah, I mean, you're talking current NBA, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, if he doesn't have the best handle, he's,
1: you know, top two or top
0: three at best. I still think, and I know he's 37 years old, but, I mean, Chris Paul is just an uncanny leader. I mean, he's not going to be that flash like Kyrie has. But if it's full package point guard, um, and it's remarkable at his age, that he's had kind of this little second act here in Phoenix. You know, It's it, maybe it's apples to oranges, but they play the same position. Uh, but, you know, Chris Paul, especially clutch time, consistent clutch time, last five minutes, tight game, you know, that's a guy who's been getting it done all season long. And, you know, Kyrie has, you know, been off, he's been on, and, and you could say it's, you know, all about uh, not being a full-time player until just a few weeks ago and not even playing at all except for January. But, you I get your point, though. In just in a vacuum, um, he's right there. If he's not one, you know, he's one a. And I think uh, Eme told us yesterday, a few hours before tip, you know, he called it craftiness. Like yep. I said, "How do you describe Kyrie?" You know, Katie's got his height, his length, uh, his ability to hit shots from anywhere. And he said, "Kyrie, it's craftiness because if he doesn't beat you with the long shot, uh, he's got the handle." he's not afraid to go inside he's just got a way of contorting his body finding a little open space among players and that's that's what makes him so great despite all the uh, you know the other stuff uh, off the court and obviously now going back to places where he's played and you know the folks in Boston certainly haven't forgotten so that's a whole nother Substory story to this series, which is just beginning.
1: Mark Kessischer, ESPN Radio broadcaster. He's on the call of Celtics and Nets. We had game one yesterday. sees won that game. He's here with us on the Brady Farkas show now. Let's get to Kyrie's comments after the game. And I'm going to do more of this in the 6 o'clock hour. I'll just tell you quickly my slant on this. It feels hypocritical to me. On one hand, Kyrie is telling you he's offended by what is being said to him, and he's reacting because he's offended. But then in the next breath, he's telling you all is fair in competition and it's all in good fun. Both of those things can't be true from where I'm sitting. What's your read on what Kyrie is saying?
0: Well, I mean, I would like to know, and I said this yesterday. We have headsets on, even during the breaks. We're not, you know, near where the fans were getting a hold of them. I want to know what's being said because, to me, that's part of the equation here too. I, I go to games as fans. I've brought my daughter to games as as a fan, and you know, to me, there are limits, and there are there's out of bounds. Uh, there's good old fashioned booing, or you know, you stink. I throw some other words in there, or whatever. <laughs> but you know, when you there, there, I think there is a part where you go over the line and it happens in every city in America. It happens in some cities more than others. and uh, if if you know it's being if it's over the line, which if it was, I think you know the players have been so empowered in the league that they would point out security would come and they'd probably be tossed. So I don't know if it's just it's too much, any snapping or you know what what the deal is, but uh, you know if if it's just good-natured old-fashioned ribbing, um, I just think it's a bad look when you start cursing, and we heard some cursing in the break that caught through our microphones from him to the fans. Uh, if it's, you know, flashing the middle finger or the double bird that he's yeah. doing, it's not a good look, and he's gonna get fined for that. If that hasn't posted already, it's gonna post at some point today. I think it's, you know, no doubt there's gonna be a fine there, but, uh, it's only gonna get worse. I mean, that, someone pointed out to me, that was an Easter Sunday crowd. What's yeah. Wednesday night gonna be like in Boston?
1: How incredible is it what Al Horford brought to the table yesterday in the absence of Robert Williams? He's not a guy that we're gonna talk about a ton today, but he was up in some rarefied air yesterday with what he did at the age of thirty five.
0: Yeah, I mean it's you know, we talked about Chris Paul's second act. This second stint in Boston has completely rejuvenated him. I mean, he he was what do you go to Philadelphia, then he ended up in Oklahoma City after he left Boston. He's thirty five years old and he just found the right team and then not only is Robert Williams out but Daniel Tice picks up the early fouls and has to go to the bench and he can still defend at a high level you know underneath the basket he can still float out to the perimeter and hit a big shot 15 rebounds and six of them on the offensive glass yesterday so uh, to me that was pretty incredible and it was a very important part of what they're doing and to pick up Tice was just a brilliant stroke uh, for them to get him back probably was a mistake to let him leave in the first place, not even knowing what was going to happen with Robert Williams. So to have those two guys, and specifically Horford, as you said, I mean that that was pretty remarkable and a big part of the game for the Celtics, who needed just about every contribution he
1: gave them. How did the Celtics follow up and win Game Two?
0: You know, I think they 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 got to figure that Kyrie's not going to shoot as well as he did in spurts certainly that 18 in the fourth quarter they just got to clean up their own game um you know they turned the ball over uh, a little bit more than usual Uh, their defense is still really well i think they figured tice isn't going to get into the same foul trouble the whistle probably won't be the same in game two because it was excessive in game one I think for me, I mean, usually the losing team has to make the adjustment, but I mean, either uh, the Nets could have easily have won, right? I mean, Tatum doesn't get that shot off the time, or Marcus Smart's pass gets deflected, and we're all talking. I mean, it's a whole different story we're talking about with Boston dropping the first one at home. So I, I think the adjustment, to me, lays more at the Nets. I think the Celtics, you play, you play your game, you hope there's some parts that'll be better. They didn't get much contribution off the bench, uh, but to me, it's, you know, will Kevin Durant make that adjustment? Because I figure they're going to play him similarly. And can Kyrie Irving uh, put up the same kind of numbers he did? Seth Curry was a non-factor. Bruce Brown was a non-factor. I don't, and then Patty Mills was a non-factor. They were fortunate Claxton and Dragic played as well as they did.
1: Mark Kessischer, ESPN radio broadcaster, on the call of the Celtics and Nets series. Game two is coming up Wednesday night from TD Garden. We're hoping for a similar result to game one. Kesty, appreciate the time and the perspective, and uh, we'd love to catch up with you in the second round, because that would mean the Celtics are in the second round, so we'll hopefully do it again uh, again here this April.
0: Well, good luck to all Celtics fans. I root for the close games, <laughs> but uh, for, yeah, for uh, folks in New England, if they'd like to see a four-game sweep, uh, I'm behind them on that as well, <laughs> and hopefully we'll chat in the second round if that's the case. I have no problem with that.
1: Kesty, appreciate you. Thank you.
0: All right, Brady. Good time with you.